All right, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. We're here in the lovely um, Studio 1A in Salt Lake City with another fine studio audience. Welcome, guys. Of course, this is the penultimate. This is the the eve of the the end of my uh, my taking the host chair. So welcome to the welcome to the end, you guys. Uh, only one more left now. The next one is in a week um, from today, which is December twenty third. If I'm not mistaken, is isn't December twenty third a special day? Isn't that the birthday of our Lord and Savior Joseph Smith? It'll be his two hundred and ninth birthday to coincide with the end of the John years of Mormon expression. Now, of course, Mormon expression is eternal, um, like all Mormon gods, and it will go on forever and ever, reproducing endlessly, but just not with me at the helm. So, um, uh, other announcements. I, I, we've been running the campaign um, to fund the studio space. I think I announced last week we had set the goal of $5,000, which was the operational um, budget. I am pleased to announce, you guys will all be happy to hear this, that as of tonight, the Mormon Expression Studios have hired a housekeeper. So that's, if you're, if you, if you've perchance to come here, I have been the sweeper in chief and it shows. Um, So we now actually have somebody who will be coming in and cleaning this place up. Um, the the goal was to reach the operational cost so that everything we do in the studio and in the community center will be free of charge for anybody who does something that fits within our mission. So if you want to teach the discussions, you're going to have to pay us. We'll gladly accept your, your money, um, you know, if you want to have your family home evening group. But if you're doing something that aligns with our mission, then this space is um, is available for free. You just need to fill out an application, pay a cleaning deposit, and then you're in. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also excited to announce that um, I think I way back in, in, in June or July when I, when I first announced that I was going to be stepping down, I said that I wasn't going to be cutting back the hours I spend, just the hours I spend studying Mormonism, sitting in the hosting chair. So I'm pleased to announce that some of the well, – we're, we're not ready to roll them out yet, but Whitefields will actually be opening offices in Salt Lake City to facilitate some of the other operations that we will be doing. So the work is rolling forward, um, and I'm, I'm, pleased, I'm pleased to announce that. Um, the, the campaign is still open through to the end of the year, and um, since we, we reached our goal of $5,000, which covered the operational cost for the first half of the year – um, then we're challenging to get to the $10,000, which would cover all of 2015. Again, everything that's donated to this will go solely to the operational cost, like housekeeping and internet and rent and that sort of stuff, that no, no one um, takes any of that money in um, salary. So I'm really appreciative for everybody who's given so far, and um, it's been uh, – it warms my little heart. My little heart grew three sizes. Um, Let's see, what, what else? Um, Sunstone Singles Conference will be over by the time this airs for you in Salt Lake City this, um, this Saturday, the 20th. And for you who are listening, I'm just teasing you. Um, Elna Baker, author of the New York Singles, whatever it is, dance, dance, book that came out four or five years ago. It's a great read. She'll be in Salt Lake City presenting at this conference. I'll be there and a few others. Um, it's Saturday afternoon. If you have a free afternoon, uh, come check us out. Um, at the end of January, Sunstone has a conference in San Diego. January, San Diego is a perfect combination. 
Um, I think I might be the only sort of apostate on the docket, but uh, a bunch of Mormon scholars will be responding to the essays. So if you want a weekend away at the end of um, at the end of January, head down to San Diego, and you can hear um, a, another great conference that Sunstone will be um, putting on. The, I'll be speaking at. Um, you can go over and check out my um, my personal podcast. It's called the John Larson Podcast because, honestly, I tried to name it, and I worked for a long, long time, and I couldn't come up with anything. Um, so that's what it is. We rolled out the second I, – I, I rolled out the second episode, which is why religion is harmful to the individual, which complements the first, which is why religion is harmful to society. So if you go to johnlarsonpodcast.com, you can find that. It should be available on iTunes soon. As soon as I register it on iTunes, um, I'm getting there. Um, I think so. Next week uh, is, is our last one, but uh, I think we'll basically take a week off and then come the first Tuesday in January, we'll begin with uh, Mormon Expression 2.0. It will still be on Tuesday nights here at the same place. We're just pushing it back to the, its original time. It will now be at 7 o'clock instead of 6.30. So every Tuesday night, 6.30, same bat channel, same bat whatever here. And um, I will be here for the first uh, podcast. So if you really are jonesing for a couple F-bombs or whatever, um, then I'll, 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 I'll still be around. So um, – uh, I'm really excited about the transition. Uh, we're working really hard on it, and uh, I think it'll be successful. Do we have any other announcements? This is getting as bad as sacrament meeting. <laughs> I, I, sw- I swear, one of the last times I went to church, they got up and they gave an announcement. And then we did, and I can't, it's been so long. We had a prayer or something, and then they got up and they give announcements again, right? Don't they give announcements? Like they stand up and they give announcements, and then they do some shit, and then they give announcements again. And they gave the same announcement. And then we went to Sunday school, and they got up and they gave the same announcement. And then we had the priesthood general meeting where all the men and boys were together, and they gave the same announcement. Then we went to the elders' quorum, and they gave the same fucking announcement. It was like five times. I, 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 I don't know if I went, but. Um, uh, so that's what you get from me. All right, let's talk about the news, a rather big um, new, news item in the world of uh, Mormonism this week. Um, Congress released a report on the CIA um, naughtiness over the last few years, and we learned that um, the term enhanced interrogation was invented by a Mormon, James Mitchell, in fact. Um, two uh, Mormon psychologists, Bruce Jessen and James Mitchell, were retired Air Force psychologists. And um, their role in the Air Force, um, w- besides being good Mormon boys. Although I- I've seen a lot of pictures of James Mitchell. And if you notice, he, he-, you know, he-, he looks like he's wasting away in Margaritaville. Have you seen- he's got a gray beard and he's wearing tank tops all the time. Um, but uh, the news stories all confirmed that he was LDS and he recruited his friend Bruce, um, who was also LDS. These guys were Air Force psychologists. And their job w- during- when they were in the Air Force was to... Um, teach Air Force pilots how to resist torture. So when one retires with their, you know, severance package and, and you know, what, what does one do with their time? Well, these guys um, uh, signed a $180 million contract with the U.S. government at the time. They only collected $81 million of it, so rest assured, um, and in which they not only designed 
the methods of torturing that are famous to us all now, like waterboarding and, and hanging people by their broken limbs and just, just all kinds of terrible things, they actually did them. They, they were hands-on guys. So when they first started torturing people, the CIA did, these two guys were out there um, – were out there actually doing the torture. Why this became an interesting story is this broke a, a week or so ago where, where the CIA report came out, and people look up the name and they see um, Bruce Jessen. They say, oh, Bruce Jessen? My bishop is Bruce Jessen. Yes, Bruce was hiding out. I, I, think, um, I think James Mitchell was retired in Florida, but Bruce was an active bishop in uh, Washington State, um, um, and um, he had to resign in disgrace about a week or two ago. Uh, according to his press statement, he and the local leaders met and decided to be best for everybody. But he seemed kind of bitter about it. Um, I, I think there's a lot of really interesting things here about Mormon psychology and where you know Mormonism takes an individual, makes him a, a, a bishop, a, a cleric, you know, a pastor, who's authored some of the worst most terrible things that have happened in the last 10 or 20 years. And this guy doesn't have any any problem with it. And it really only bothered the church when it came out. But I think this is the result of the Mormon moment, um, that now Mormons have to resign in disgrace, which is something kind of new. Um, but um, there, there's, there's a lot to be plumbed there on the psychology of, of this religion that allows people to devise such things that, that, that I think many of us find horrific and yet they're they're people of faith um i i increasingly and i i mean this is a bad sign that i don't think clearly anymore but increasingly i don't understand the conservative religious mind that can make these uh these constructions so anyway there there you have it um um interestingly enough the 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 man who um has it's if the report is to believe actually tortured people to death is still a member of good standing while Kate Kelly um, was excommunicated for uh, for uh, asking for um, more stuff to do at church. Um, all right, well, let's go on. Um, I set uh, a long time back in June when I decided to 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 leave or July or whenever it was. I decided to do the last three podcasts of last week. Um, why I believe the church is obviously not true. Um, and then, of course, next week, I'll, I'll just say goodbye. But this week, I wanted to kind of return. I know that I have been very critical of the church um, over the years. I've said a lot of, a lot of mean things about the church. Um, and, but honestly, it wasn't all that bad. So tonight, I want to focus on why I think it wasn't all bad for me or what were sort of the good parts. What were the highlights for me growing up? I actually liked growing up Mormon for the most part. Um, as a child, I remember like nine or ten having a problem with the stories that sounded imaginary to me. So stories like Noah and Adam and Eve, I, I just really, even as a child, had a hard time grasping them as literally true. But I wasn't smart enough to be able to construct it that way as a child, right? It just, they didn't feel right. They felt, I remember sitting there listening to the story and saying, this feels like a storybook, you know, like, rather than something that actually happened to real people. Um, but that did not dissuade my faith or my identity. I was, I believe I'm a seventh generation Mormon. 
and most everybody in my family were Mormons. Now, there were a lot of Jack Mormons, um, and a lot of my heritage came down from central Utah. We've talked in the podcast before that there is this idea, especially by people outside the state, that all the Mormons in Utah are like Provo. It's not exactly the case. They're more like um, the backslider sort of Mormons. There's um, a lot of Mormons outside the Mormon corridor drink whiskey and chew tobacco and curse like sailors. And um, my heritage, my foul mouth, comes from my grandfather, who had a foul mouth also. And he was an active, he had been inactive for a large portion of his life, but he was always an active member during my lifetime. But the Mormons from down in Ephraim that I was related to were, were stalwart, faithful people. But generally, they went to the temple once when they got married, and they drank, and they smoked, and they, and they um, you know, went up and shot deer and drank beer and went back and were in bishoprics and stuff on, on the other days. Now, on my mom's side, they were more devout. Um, they came from, from Weber County, and, and, and Mormonism was not something that we did it was something that we were. And this is a really interesting juxtaposition. When Zilpha and I got married, her parents had been converts. And the, the great people. Her family is all really good people. And I don't mean any of this derogatory. Um, but her family, I, I, I noticed the difference that Mormons were something for my family that we were. And Mormonism was something that her family did. So because they converted, they were much more likely to watch like um, those cartoons, what are the living scriptures sort of stuff, and, and go to all the, you know, like I hadn't even heard of a lot of this stuff till I went to BYU. But I was, you know, I, like Saturday's Warrior, I think that movie came out in 1989. I'd never heard of it before that. Um, but we were Mormons through and through. It was our culture. It was, it was who we were. Now, let me talk a little bit about the ward that I grew up in. I was born in 1973 in Alabama, and um, my family moved back to Utah that same year. And so in 1973, the same year, I moved to Roy, Utah, where I lived until I went on my mission at 19. Um, Roy is a suburb of of um, Ogden, basically, and Hill Air Force Base. So you've got the great big Air Force Base there that did give us uh, um, an influence, an influx of more non-Mormons than you would have, say, in Orem. Um, but but I, I grew up in, in a ward that had mixed housing. So there was young families, and there were older folks, and there were families all in between, and our stake was that way. There wasn't anybody who was really particularly rich, nobody who was really too poor. And when, when I grew up, the culture was that the buildings in, in the Roy West stake, that's the stake I was in, had all been built by the members. They had been built by the members that I went to church with. So I went to church with the people who had actually built the building, put the brick upon brick. That we had a stage that we used, that we had a, a big Christmas um, shindig every year. That every year we would, the stake, or, or every other couple years, would put on a play. I remember this extravagant production of of Camelot. Um, we had, if you went into the buildings, they had big, they were, they had China. Like, so the stake center would have linens and China so they could set the tables out. We had bazaars. We had road shows. We had, um, the stake center itself had um, a big park, like, like some of them do in Utah, with a ball diamond. And there were leagues. There were basketball leagues for women and for men and for children. And there were softball leagues. And there was just lots of stuff going on. 
I grew up in Mormonism that was a culture. And unfortunately, a few years before I was born, namely in 1961, under the direction of, of Lee, the church adopted the principle of correlation and began dismantling all of its programs. Under the guise of having a single solid church, they began taking all that apart. And I feel really bad because the church that I grew up in, and I had all these great, um, these great experiences. I mean, I, one of my neighbors lived right across the street, would get up every other week and every other month in testimony meeting and talk about dropping bombs on the Germans in World War II. And this, this intergenerational mix that I grew up in as a young man, the ability to go and do home teaching to, you know, people who were in their 80s, people who would tell me stories about running teams and, you know, having horses, and young couples that were just married who were just starting out in life who were my advisors. And I had this golden experience of interacting with all of these people who were willing to give of their own time and give of their own service and and help us as as children growing up to really be raised by a village and that culture existed and and you went from the the 14th ward building to the to the the fourth ward building whatever and the buildings were a little bit different they had unique character and you opened those fucking closets up and they were full of like 70 years of rich history of who knows what you know the the we had an actual scouting room and it was full of the most amazing treasures if you could find the key to those, those cabinets. Because they just, it, you had generation after generation after generation who had camped out at that. And I remember as I was hitting my teenage years, then the church started dividing the stakes and, and dividing the wards. And now I think we live in a church where the kind of environment I just described is rare because it's been cut asunder. The programs have been gutted. I mean, even something we talk about like the Boy Scouts. Um, that that the church still holds on to, but at the same time, over the past twenty years, the church has gutted the Boy Scout program, um, and to where these things are just shells of, of what they used to be. But my, my 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 purpose here is not to complain; it's to say I grew up in this rich environment, and the people who were my bishops, um, first Bishop Barker, and then my father was my bishop who sent me on my mission, and well, um, I, th- I think there was a bishop in between. But these were all caring men, and and there were wonderful care. I remember as a child playing. Um, Relief Society used to be in the afternoon and playing underneath the quilting stands as a child, playing on the floor and listening to the women talk and gossip in the in the most friendly way, and and just feeling as a child the warmth of that community. I I have a problem today with gender inequality. But I know that there was a time in the church, and I wish it would have been done differently. I wish there would have been more equality. But there was a time in the church that the women were allowed to sort of build up their own program and have their own identity. There was a time um, most people have forgotten that the Relief Society had its own budget and its own publishing house, and it was very independent. The Relief Society president basically only answered to the president of the church. They had their own building. If you go on Temple Square, it's still there. That was theirs, that they built with their own money. And as a child, the Relief Society was an independent and strong program. Now, it was not equal. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves. 
But it gave the women of the church, in my view, a sense of community, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, that the church has just got it from, from then till now, from the 70s till now. There's nothing left of it. Um, but I had this wonderful experience growing up. And, and these, these, these people who, who, who cared about me. Um, I had an amazing time learning Mormon doctrine. Until I, until I started studying it too hard. Um, I've been accused of taking it too seriously, and that's it's absolutely true. But there are some wonderful, amazing things there. The doctrine of eternal perfection, and I know this has been a long argument going back to um, Orson Pratt and Brigham Young arguing about this. It's been a battle in the church. But this idea of, of, of growing and becoming and becoming more perfect and, and an implied doctrine that a lot of us had. Um, when I grew up, everybody knew Joseph Smith, at least everybody that I was around, knew Joseph Smith had multiple wives. That was no secret. Um, and um, I did not know as a child that Joseph Smith had married women who were married to other living men. That was a revelation to me as an adult. But I knew he was married to young women. I knew he was married to widows. I knew, I knew all that kind of stuff. But I think there was an element of, of Mormonism that grew up inside Utah that knew that the general authorities cursed. And I think it was, I think it was D. Michael Quinn pointed out that, you know, that up until like the, the, the war, until like the 30s or 40s, you know, you could get on a, on a streetcar in, in Salt Lake City and be sitting next to Heber Grant. You know, they, it's like they were accessible. They were around. Now, by policy, I believe that they don't even go to wards unless they're doing some special business. So the general authorities become very isolated. But my point is that culturally, I grew up, I was raised by a generation that knew the warts of Mormonism. They knew that these people weren't perfect, and there was never an expectation of perfection. But somewhere along the line, post-war, the bureaucrats took over and started painting the church as this perfect thing. But that's not the doctrine as I received it. To me, it was a doctrine of becoming. It was almost an Eastern philosophy of, 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 of evolution and of, of, of little bit by little bit. And even flawed people like Joseph Smith could be the, the, the um, you know, hands of God. And I think that is a powerful teaching. Um, and, and when you juxtapose it to sort of the standard American Protestant um, evangelical belief these days of you're a worm, you're full of shit, but if you accept Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, then you're all right. It's, it's just vacuous to me. It just doesn't that, – that instant karma, that instant um, redemption just doesn't provide any substance to me. But the idea of striving and becoming by patience and by practice that I think under, underlies Mormon doctrine, I think was a, was a beautiful thing. And Mormons hate it, but the idea of deification is, is a beautiful doctrine. I think it's the church's strongest doctrine, and they should lead with that. The idea that two, twofold, that God himself or herself or whatever you want to call it today um, had to traverse the same sort of pain and trials that, that we had to, that God didn't just pop into existence and to completely separated from us. I mean, th- this, is the, this is one of the strengths of the, the, the Christian doctrine, that, that Jesus Christ, that God um, 
you know, became that God descended to mankind in the form of the Son, and then descended below all that He could understand the pain and suffering of humankind. But in Mormonism, that's that's buried and implicit in the very nature of God. That God didn't have to make this little journey to understand; He already understood implicitly, and that by and by, even though we're flawed and we're full of weakness, that we can achieve that point. It's a it's a it's a mar- it's a marvelous doctrine. And it's a shame that they bury it. Um, um, do you guys feel like like you're at Sunday school again? <laughs> All right. Um, uh, fuck the police. All right. Um, Nathan, go on. I agree with you, John. Is that, that mic on? Yeah. I agree with you that the doctrine of deification, it... it, it is a beautiful doctrine and really um, invites um, people to um, to become more um, potentially uh, a god. As but you know, it is kind of downplayed these days. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think I think another element of doctrine now Joseph Smith changed. This is one of the problems or one of the powers of Mormonism, however you want to look at it, is his his doctrine was evolving. So you can proof text him to prove different things. And the early days of of Mormonism and then sliding into the last days before he died, Mormonism flirted with this universalism. And it's very appealing the idea that there is no such thing as hell. Which, of course, the Book of Mormon disagrees with entirely. The very worst descriptions of hell you'll find anywhere are in the Book of Mormon. But outside of that, um, you, you, you find this, this idea that there's more than just this dichotomy um, of heaven and hell, that you're either good or you're bad, right? This, this Christian dualism um, that, that is, is really absurd. Now, I've made fun of Mormonism a lot of times saying, oh, a dualism absurd, so we're going to have a trifecta like that really solved the problem but but i think it's moving in the right direction and and the 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 sort of underlying teaching that people sort of end up where they're most comfortable that that there is justice and not justice in the form of punishment i see in the early doctrine the early teaching the this idea that people will sort of end up where they're happy um and 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 it's not about punishment um, that everything is – except – if you read the Doctrine and Covenants, everything except for the sons of perdition, which is punitive, everything is redemptive. The people will be um, be cleansed. Now, I, I the, the teaching of redemption doesn't hold a lot of water for me, but that, that idea, I think, is a, is a compelling idea. And to scrap the Protestant hell, I think, was a progressive move. Um. So, so those are sort of the doctrines that I that I, I find compelling. I, I want to talk about a bit about my mission. My mission gave me a lot of room to think while I was there, and I've been trying to process it ever since. It was this wonderful experience, um, and largely because my mission president really fucked up. Um, there were six Laotian missionaries in San Diego, six missionaries who served with the Laotian people. And the problem is there is only ever one class of Laotian missionaries in the MTC at any given time, and the class reset every nine weeks. So if you didn't pay attention, 
you could only get missionaries at certain times. Well, the mission president, about six months before um, me and my two companions, who went to the MTC together, went home, the mission president sent home two of the missionaries. That means there were only four out there, and three of us all landed at the same time. Um, well, you have a problem with senior companionship at that point. So um, the mission president interviewed the three of us, and he decided that I was the most mature. He told me this, of the three of us. But this is where he's a fucking retard. He decided that the missionary who was the least mature should go with me. And we were dropped into the slums of San Diego. Um, there was a week, one week, that we had crossover. We were dropped into the slums of San Diego um, um, to, to go teach the, the, the refugees. I'd had nine weeks of, of, of language training. And um, and um, that's it. We were on our own. The mission president did not call me. Now, remember, I'm 19 years old. Language missionary. This is a great big mission. We had like 230 missionaries. Um, San Diego is a cherry mission. Um, we worked with some of the, the, the couples, and I had more than one couple brag to me that they got San Diego assignment because they were connected to elders such and such and such and such. So this son of a bitch didn't contact me for four months. Four months. To me, it seems criminal now. And it really impacted in a negative way my own sense of value and and self-worth. And, and, um, well, I'll go ahead and say it. I might might get in trouble because these people are out there. Uh, We shared a car. We shared a car with um, two other missionaries, and so we had a limited number of miles. The car was in my name. Why? I don't know. Um, the other missionaries drove the car up to Los Angeles to go watch U2 in a concert, and they came back in, and they called the mission president, and they told him that I went over on miles. The mission president didn't call me on this. I heard about this months later, saying, mm, we've been keeping our eye on you because you're... so." Um, after after I talked to him on on the um, four months, um, now we also did something else. That now this is positive. I'm going to get to I'm going to get to the positive side. We switched name badges. The mission president called me by the wrong name. So the 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 this shit for brain didn't know who I was. Had left me in the, the in the the slums with no support. Not you know not even a phone call. You you would think the guy would call or or put somebody close by to check in check in on us well i was on my own um and i learned some wonderful things that have served me well in life on that mission i learned how corporations really work i learned that it wasn't about who is the most righteous it was oftentimes about who could play the game correctly and i understood the game a little bit better um i also ultimately was converted by these people um, I am not mystical at all in my thinking. I don't believe, I don't hold any truck with anything supernatural. Um, but, um, I, I starting then I was basically converted to, um, the older forms of Buddhism, which I, I, I hold to today, at least in part, uh, cause I, I am an atheist, but, um, so, so this positive thing of interacting with this culture, this ancient culture, 
And I, I still hold a little bit of guilt about the cultural terrorism that, that I was trying to perpetrate, this imperialistic idea that me coming out of Roy, Utah, had anything to say to these people who had a, a 25-100-year-old you know, culture that was, that was beautiful and complicated and, and, and that, that I would come and not even know what the hell I was talking about. Right. I mean, I didn't even understand Christian theology, let alone Buddhism or anything else. But about halfway through my mission, I was explaining the concept of faith to somebody who has been endowed. They'd been in the United States for a long time, and I just wasn't getting anywhere. So I went and I, I found an old, some Buddhist text. By that time, I could read well enough that I could actually read through the old Sanskrit um, text. And so I went to them and said, I went back to him and said, faith means this, right? And I didn't give him the Christian definition. I gave him the Buddhist definition. And they said, Elder, you're the first person who understands it. All these other missionaries don't get it, but you got it. And I was just, I was just feeding back Buddhism to them. And I realized that the translators of the Book of Mormon had pulled all the Theravada terms. Instead of saying faith, they had put sata. They'd use the, they'd use the, the Theravada term, which people would just say, oh, yeah, I get that, because it carried all this, this baggage in. Well, that started an unwinding of my thinking that, that has continued to, to this day of, 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 of sort of unpacking Mormonism. And so that experience of interacting with these people um, with, with things like poverty and refugees and learning another culture and subcultures in the United States and, in, and encountering Buddhism, but not just like the, the shit for brains like Zen Center in Salt Lake City, New Age crap. I'm sorry, I'm trying to offend as many people as I can. I mean like, like, real, like real DNA Buddhists who were practicing the jungle a few years ago. And to have that sort of experience is utterly priceless. And it's something that can be experienced by very, very few people. Um, and to, to, to learn the discipline that I had to, that in the United States where I couldn't just walk down to the corner store and start talking to the clerk, that, that it, it took so much academic discipline to learn the language, especially without anybody to, to guide me, um, for that boneheaded tragic mistake, I am thankful today. Because it helped, it helped, and I know that there's been a lot of people. I'm just sharing my experience. But there's been a lot of people who've had similar wonderful experiences, and I, I've talked to plenty of people who leave the church who struggle because they've had either what they consider to be very spiritual experiences, or divine experiences, or moving experiences, or these great elements of the church. I never experienced ecclesiastical abuse, except for some dickheads down at BYU, and they don't count. Um, um, I never encounter that. I don't say it's not there, but I think there's tons of people who struggle leaving the church because they realize it's not true, but their experience with the church was on the whole positive. And and we sometimes give too much play to the mistakes that the church inevitably makes, but that's not the reason that um, I think that the church is experiencing a loss of people of faith. It's because it's not true. And the fact that it, it, can, it can be good. Um. I think the last sort of thing I want to focus on, on, on that was really positive um, with the church is really the idea of community. And this is one that, especially the last four or five years, well, even before that, 
back in, I started the podcast in 2009. In 2007, um, I worked with two others and we f- formed um, a, gr- a group in Utah called Calm, which is community after leaving Mormonism. And we had three groups we started with. We started one in, in Utah County, one in Salt Lake, South Davis County, and then I led the one up in Davis County. And the idea was just to move beyond this stew. And Nathan, you were there at the beginning um, with me, help help do those things, and 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 you know those ideas have been percolating for me for a long time. Mormonism is now Mormonism can corrupt this, and we talked about that last week. But the principle of building communities, I think, when, when we go back to the Roy Fourteenth Ward that I grew up in, it was working correctly. And we complain about the fact that we move into a neighborhood and the church assigns us to a ward, like the psych ward. You know, you're, you're on the E floor. The, in Roy, there is a state, it's still there, the state hospital, the state retirement home. Um, it was right across the street from me. And there was no subtlety there. They had A ward, B ward, C ward, D ward, and E ward. And they would move you. This was a state hospital, so to get in, you kind of had to be committed to the state. And they'd move you from the different wards as you um, digressed, as your condition worsened. We'd go past a sacrament there, and God forbid if you went to E ward, that was spooky. Um, but anyway, um, so that you had so, this principle of self sacrifice of this is my community, and even things like. Um, even things like assigning people callings and moving them out of their comfort zone. And this, this idea that I felt very strongly that I had a moral, even as a child, even as a young um, teenager, rather than sit around and play video games, I felt a moral responsibility for my neighborhood um, that I have not figured out how to install in my children yet. My children don't even interact with people over the age of 50, really. Um, because and and they just they they live in a world that I have been trying so hard to break them out of, and I just God damn it, I can't do it. I've been trying and trying and trying, and um, we you know we've tried. We started the living community. We we we've, we've tried these things, and it, for me, it's been about trying to get that experience for my children that I had that sense of community, a sense of belonging, that sense of responsibility for my neighbors. That I don't get to just choose to go to where I want. And when I left the church, when Zilpha and I left, for five years we were Unitarians. And I attended First Church in Salt Lake. I attended the Ogden Congregation in North Carolina. I, I attended. When I started this podcast, I was still a fairly active Unitarian. But there was something fake about the idea that I could surround myself with people who were just like me. And that gets sickening after a while. They keep hearing your own opinion parroted back. This is why I'm getting sick of Facebook, too. Just all the same stuff. It's just like a big mirror. And, and, and Mormonism forced us to not be able to do that, that we had to interact socially with people that we wouldn't have interacted. And we are so guilty these days of choosing not to, not to see things. Not to interact with people that, 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 that may not be just like us. And not to have that principle of self-sacrifice, of, of, of teaching the nine-year-olds, even when you don't want to teach the nine-year-olds, of going over and shoveling somebody's walk, of, of even the awareness. You know, We talk about how ecclesiastical abuse, and, and, and it can be dangerous for community members to talk about one another. But 
I never, growing up in the church, felt that was gossipy at all. That oftentimes we knew that Brother Smith had lost his job and that um, that they might be on some hard times, which meant a lot of people brought them food and went over and helped them out. And there wasn't a sense of, of anything derogatory about it. There was a sense of community and a sense of ownership. And that is, I think, the the, 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 the golden star of Mormonism. And that is why so many people have a hard time leaving. And it's why, even though I record this bombastic podcast, you'll be hard-pressed to get me, if you find me on a subway, to get me to argue with you about religion, because although I believe the church is harmful, I've outlined that plenty, I believe that loss of, of support and community that people inevitably go through when they leave the church is such a huge tragedy that on an individual basis, oftentimes it's better for you just to stay in because the the pain of loss of community um, is is real. And the ex-Mormon communities give fellowship and friendship. And there are there are many, many people that I love dearly um, who have all left the church, who who I would take a bullet for right now. But even with those people, even though we've tried, we've never been able to reproduce that loving, caring environment that I grew up with in the church. And that's a tragedy that I'm still trying to repent from. I'm still trying to get around that. I have this fear, um, and it's it goes well beyond Mormonism, that without the negative structures of religion, that we can't do it. That that I have this fear that humankind is is not good enough unless they're exploited. That the masters have to crack the whips, and I hate that idea. And I want to fight against that idea, and I want to be able to reproduce that 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 something, you know, um, that that you can move into a ward that nobody knows you, and you can die, and they'll take care of you with no with no expectation of anything in, in return. And I haven't seen that reproduced outside of religious environments. And I blame us. I blame me. You know, I, I, um, we can't just walk away and say, we did our time, man. Um, now, now it's all about me. Now it's all about scotch and porn and, and good times and, 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 and fuck y'all. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the right response. So I do have this, this weird and, 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 I know it, it's not apparent from listening to, to to me ramble on for five years. I have this weird love hate relationship with Mormonism and and Mormon culture, and I've said it several times um, recently. But when I am belittling Mormonism, I, I try really hard not to belittle the Mormons, and because whenever I whenever I talk about these things, these terrible things that we we believed or that we practiced, that was me. And I was I was there wearing that shirt, and I was a participant of it. And um, it's it's really hard, and I feel sort of like remember when? Well, none of us remember, but you read about it when doctors refused to wash their hands, right? And they would like they would kill everybody, you know? They they that that you were actually 
Um, there was a time in American history, it was probably the same way in Europe, I just know about the American story, that you did not want to deliver a baby in a hospital. That was a terrible thing because these doctors, so full of themselves, wouldn't wash their hands after handling cadavers, right? I, that's me, right? I'm trying to deliver babies or whatever, but I haven't washed my fucking hands, and I'm killing off as many people as I'm saving, and I don't quite know how to do that. I don't know how to... Um, deconstruct mormonism without um without damaging people who are relying on faith my solace my answer has always been i record the podcast it's out there but i really don't advertise it i don't you know recommend it to anybody um i don't i i've I've never really done that stuff uh occasionally we've we've we created flyers and i hung four on that wall and then put them nowhere else because even though I'm very proud of what I've done here, and there's been literally tens of thousands of people who've been helped by this endeavor, the pain that is inevitable of of realizing, of, of listening to the podcast and realizing at least on one point that John Larson is right is a huge pain. It's a sock in the stomach. And I I just wish we could... I've said many times, I just want the church to go away. I don't want to tear it down. I don't want it to be there. I don't want to fight it. I just wish it were gone. But I know now that without having something to replace it, that's a, that's sort of a naive thing, right? And so that's what I'm trying to do now. So, um, And I'm, I challenge um, all of you, all of you all. That um, in your own way, we need to reconstruct those things because ultimately what the church was doing is just channeling our own goodness. There was nothing that the church did that we can't do on our own. It's laziness on my part that I haven't walked my own fucking neighborhood and found the people who are over 60 and introduced my kids to them. That's bullshit that I haven't done that, right? I don't need a church to do that, and, and, and I can't blame them for me not doing that. That's, that's baloney, and it's, it's, it's something that I need to take care of. I need to take care of my own community, and we're seduced by online communities and Facebook and these things that feel really real. Meanwhile, there's people around us who need us, and we will need other people and I think that's part of what it means to be what it means to be human. And I applaud Mormonism for taking um, this really integral part of the American dream um, right from the beginning. You know, Joseph Smith was born before the War of eighteen twelve, and um, and before things were really solid. And then played around theologically with some of the I think ideals of the American vision. And for that, I think they deserve credit um, because I know today when I meet Mormons um, that, that, that my perception of them, even after all this stuff, after all the things I've heard, after all the things people told me, is that they're kind and they're loyal. They're a little bit naive. They're a little bit <laughs> kind of focusing on their own stuff, but they're not people you really need to worry about like 
you know, stomping on you. And don't don't get me wrong. There's a lot of fraud and MLMs and stuff in Salt Lake, but that does not describe that most Mormons are out to get you. In fact, the sad part about it is because Mormons are trusting and loving, that's what makes all this fraud happen. It's not because Mormons are fraudulent. It's because they're genuinely good people who haven't learned not to trust others, you know? Um, and I think that says a lot about their character. So I pine for, and I know I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm over 40. So I'm just sounding like an old guy who's talking about how great it was when I grew up. But that church that I grew up in, which is gone. Um, was was a was a fantastic thing, and I think that still lives on um, with with many people in the church today. It's still not true. It's still a bunch of bullshit. But it was mo- at at its core, people trying to help one another, and that bottom up portion of the church. You know, if you look at the history of the church, you have this tension between top down and bottom up. And there were times when the, uh, especially like around like the 1920s, the 1910s, um, even if you go back to like 1870, 1860, you'll, you'll see that a lot of these structures that were top down didn't exist. The church was really grassroots. It was local. It was people who, who could make decisions. And unfortunately, what happened in the last 30 years is the top one. And that's what killed Mormonism because um, the, that, that grassroots element is the element that I think is, is great. So that's my sort of love letter to Mormonism. I know most Mormons still find it insulting, but I don't care. Um, um, uh, it, defines, it defines who I am. And I, I, I know that I have a lot of liberal Mormon friends who say things like, um, you know, they're still culturally Mormon. And I don't think I am. I don't think I think like a Mormon anymore. It's been too long. Um, I, um, but it's, it, it defines and shapes who I am, and I no longer regret that. There was a time when what I wanted to be was a non-Mormon. I didn't want anything to do with this pageant. And, and now that's not true anymore. I can realize there was, there was so much good there, more good than bad. I didn't leave the church because I was mistreated or because I had an awful experience, I left because it wasn't true. And I say these things. And that, that, that feels sacrilegious. I, 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 I can't do it. All right. Well, that's um, – so I've been, I've been blathering on. I want to hear and, – and don't let me down because people, people haven't been participating very much. I want to hear what the, your favorite – I told you what my favorite part of the church was. I want to hear what your favorite parts of the church were. There it is. I can wait you out. I can edit all this out. We can stand here and stare at each other for 15 minutes. Speaking of which, I'm going to bitch about something. There is this belief, it's mostly true, that I just talk and talk over everybody else. But there have been many times on the podcast when I have stopped and said to the panel, I am not going to talk until one of you guys talk. And sat there and waited, and then I edited all that shit out. I should have left it in because then people would think that I'm a better person than they think I am because then they would say, well, because some, you know, you can't let dead air go on, right? It's got to, you got to, how, when the radio goes quiet, how long till you switch the dial? It's, it's three seconds according to the, the industry. I know some of your names. I'll start calling on people. I would definitely say probably music. Um, my love for musicals and just all that kind of stuff and 
actual good music, like music and Josh Groban, all those kind of, that kind of stuff. Theater, the arts, that, I definitely feel like I was very much influenced by my LDS upbringing to just love the hell out of it. I think that's a that's a fantastic point, and I've thought one of the reasons I actually went to Unitarian Church is I missed singing. I really like singing hymns, and I don't get a chance to sing anymore, except karaoke or whatever. I'm not very good at that. So, but when there's a lot of people singing, you can sing away, and um and yeah, I think I think my life is less rich because I don't have that. Whenever I go back to church for a funeral or anything, I just sing my little heart out. I don't care what they're singing. I just I I I, I love it. A high to kolob or whatever. It's great. Nathan, thank you. I, this is not I not really um, directly related to church, but um, growing up in Mormon family and um, in the environment of. Uh, a lot of Mormons. It gave me uh, tons of um, opportunities to interact with people in in beautiful outdoor places, and suddenly I'm I'm up in the mountain, and I'm I'm with a whole bunch of of friends, and it's. I suppose sometimes that that uh, seems to have been initiated as either a father son thing or a family reunion thing, and um, that that kind of uh, interaction. Uh, it's it's a lot what you say, you talk about it's a social thing but it's um a really valuable part of how i was brought up yeah i re- i remember we had a steak um um i keep wanting to say steak farm we had one of those too we had a steak camp um up in eden um and it was beautiful it had a stream that ran through it and several cabins, you know, it had been built up over the years. And just those those times to go up there on like a ward camp out and sit around the fire with people who you didn't know that well, but then getting to know them. I mean, when do you have that sort of experience? And you'd always learn something fascinating about somebody you'd lived next to for 10 years. I don't even know my neighbor's names today. And, and you know, here here was that opportunity. Well, let me leave you with two last thoughts. Um, I read, um, I was reading um, a few years ago about mind control and cults. And one of the authors, I can't remember if Steve Hussain or whatever his name is, or one of the others, said, there's a basic test to see if you're in a cult. There's a simple test. Think about your leader. Can you think of anything negative about them? If the answer is no, then you're in a cult. <laughs> um, people who are in a cult or cult-like thinking cannot criticize their quote-unquote leaders. And there's, a, there's an, another element related in, in negotiation and debate and stuff. 
and the 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 and oftentimes um, marital councils will do this. And if you can't do this, you're going to get divorced. By the way, which is you need to frame out the other side. Can you tell the the can you can you state the case of your opponent? I I I mean those two things for as a, as a word of caution for people listening to the podcast. If you cannot find fault in your own new position. If you can't give valid criticism against the people you accept as your leaders today, because I, I have become increasingly um, uneasy about how some of my friends have venerate Carl Sagan. Um, it's 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 actually honestly spooky to me, and because he's being sanctified by by the um, the atheist left. Um, so so if 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 you can think of negative things to say about Carl Sagan, then you're all right. But if you can think of nothing wrong with the man, you can think of nothing that he says that you disagree with, you've got a problem. And if you cannot empathize at all with the case, and you see it in the boards, especially people who are fresh out of the church, say, how can anybody possibly believe this? Or I don't believe any of the general authorities actually believe this. They have to know it's true. You've gone too far. Then it's time to reel it back in because if you can't empathize back, you're going down the same path. Just – You've just switched masters, right? And I've seen it so often. I did the podcast a few months ago about becoming an XX Mormon. I think I think we did that one in in Portland, and that's that's really important because you have to remember that when you leave the church, you're still a Mormon, and it's going to take you a lot of years to undo those constructions. And it's really easy just to to to, to fall back into them. But if we can take and 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 God bless his his cute little heart, people like John Delin. What they're trying to do is take all the goodness, all these kind of things I outline, and and save the church just with the good things. Now, I don't believe that can happen, but I think we can take a lesson from our liberal Mormon friends and say, well, what in there is worth saving? What in there is worth trying to reproduce, and how do we do it? And it's a fucking hard question. I don't have the answers. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Good night. The Mormon Expression Podcast is recorded live before a studio audience in Salt Lake City on Tuesday nights at 6.30. Come down and join the audience, take part in the podcast, and meet John and the panelists. The Mormon Expression Podcast is produced by the Whitefields Educational Foundation. Visit us online at whitefieldseducational.org to find out about our counseling services and other special events.